The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. So, I, I'm, in, I'm enjoying looking at this and studying back through this, because it always makes me sharper, or reminds me of things that I haven't looked at in a while. Um, and uh, so today, we're, we are going to look at the Apostles' Creed, and as we look at the Apostles' Creed, it's not about what is most familiar to us, it's not about... Uh, it's not just about just trying to glance over just an idea, but why the Apostles' Creed? Let's look at it one more time, the Apostles' Creed, if we have it up on the screen. And so what I want to do is kind of systematically walk through this creed using Scripture references and uh, before moving on to the other creeds, before moving on to some of the other ideas. And what we're talking about is Christian Reformation and Reconstruction. Now, as I said... Uh, Martin Luther didn't come up with the Reformation. There was much reforming going on well before him. And it's from, when we talk about creeds, uh, it's, it's simply the word, that, it comes from the word credo, which means I believe. So it's, uh, unfortunately, um, throughout time as we look at creeds, so you'll go, sometimes you might go to, a, if you were to go to a church, they might say, all right, church, what do, you, what do we believe? And they'll say, we believe. But really, when you look at the creeds and what we're looking at here specifically, it's an intentional thing of uh, a place of agreement for Christ's bride, for Christ's church, to be able to say, I believe these things. And so um, I've been to other denominations, and they'll use a version of the Apostles' Creed. Um, they'll change some words. When we're saying it, there's one word it says, and sitteth on the right hand of we hear us say, and sits on the right hand of God the Father. We can easily change things in the modern language without changing the meaning, without a doubt. Um, but as we look at this, uh, this creed, the Apostles' Creed, in partiality, not the fullness of what we see here, and partiality uh, is found in writing as early as 140 A.D. And so to have writings and see that is important, but most likely... Without a doubt, we know it predates, and I'm going to show you why in Scripture, why it predates uh, these things. Um, but also, uh, the, the old Roman form was found about what they call, and it's still a little abbreviation of this, it's found around 394 A.D. And then somewhere about mid-5th century is where we get what we have today. And I will say this, it, once again, creeds are not Scripture. They're not inerrant. They're not infallible like God's Word. So when you look at creeds, it always means something was added or something was taken away in order to express the faith, express Scripture more clearly as, as we're, we're saying this creed. And so, in fact, the word maker of heaven and earth was not even... Uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth was omit and omitted as, as for a period of time. Some wouldn't say it. And um, others wouldn't say, uh, and the life everlasting. 
and it's it's interesting. There's you can study into why they didn't, uh, and and that's just. But you can also find some error that comes behind it. So um, obviously, scripture predates this creed. Um, obviously, we we have and I have to say this because when we talk about scripture, we're not necessarily talking about that we had a full. Uh, we're not talking about all the letters of the New Testament being written out and compiled together. We're not talking about in that essence, but. If you look at what Paul was writing, what, were, what was Paul writing in his letters? What was the purpose of why even Paul wrote letters? Is to what? To, to continue to bring forth the teaching that was passed on to him, the very things of God's Word. What did they have in, in the, during Jesus' time? What did they have? They had the Old Testament and the law, right? They had the fulfillment of it. They, they go and get the scroll from Isaiah. They go get the scroll from this area. And what they would do is they would read from those things. Most of them, if you look at the majority of, when you talk about the, uh, you're talking about the, the Pentateuch and on, they would had all that memorized. They were from most children had it, the entire thing memorized from, I mean, from early age. So they were able to recite. It was in their minds. It was in their heart. Um, it was always something to guide them. And so when I look at this today. Um, we know that the creeds are formed from the scripture, and, and, and this is a, a statement of what the church believes. And, uh, and so let's, let's walk through it today. I'm sure there's some things I'm going to miss. I'm not, I'm not, we're we're going to look at even one of the hardest parts of it, one of the, one of the questions, and I'm going to even go to John Calvin on this. And although I don't always agree with him on everything, this one area he goes and describes in, in depth, and we're going to take part of what he's talking about. Um, Number one, there's is, is no notes to write down, but number one, it's first part is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And when we look at this part, we need to understand this is a foundation. Now, I told you all that we're going to have, it's really going to be follow along a little bit, but John 1 is where we're going to go. And John 1 clearly talks to us about what this is about. Uh, gives a great illustration. John 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not, was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It was a very crucial part of last week's sermon. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as this only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He whom, of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from... For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. 
he has made him known. And so when we look at the first part of this, very simply, why we need to lay this out as a as part is, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son. It's important to see that from the very beginning, from the very, very beginning, Christ was what? God, he was with God, and he is God. That Christ, what? Did Christ just watch everything being made, or did he make all things? And that's why this passage, or this one statement here, is important to us that Christ was with God in the beginning. He is God. And only was he with God, and he is God. He, along with God, the Father, what? Created all things. That's what the scripture says. All things were made through him, and without him, there was nothing that we see that wasn't made. Well, I, I agree with that in that, that passage is referring to God made all things. And Jesus is the direct only Son of God. But I do not see that Jesus and God are one and the same. There's there's the one and the many. Jesus and Jesus, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. And yet they are in the same three persons. And what we find, and we'll see as we continue even as we continue, that both God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all at creation of all things. There Jesus is and, and that's one of the things we'll talk about even as we get into the uh, uh, as we get into the uh, the Nicene Creed. The reason why they had to, one of the uh, aspects of the, the things that were being taught was that Jesus was not really God in the flesh. He, was, he, he became God in the flesh. And that's a heresy because Jesus was, and what John just said, John's writing, John 1, he just says what? He was before me. Well, Jesus in the flesh was born after John. So how is he before him? Just as David... The one who is before him, when we talk about, it's the same in the same way. And so, when we look at this, it says Jesus is the Word. He was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He wreck it up. So we. I'm gonna, he was in the beginning with God. This is talking about God the Father. In the beginning was the Word. Was the Word. With God, was God. So he, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Word. That's the word Logos. The Logos is that He is the beginning of all things. There's the separation here. God is the beginning of all things, not that Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is God. That's what. And so when we look at, He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him. And he talks about that. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And then it goes on to talk about what this light is. Who this light is. John said, it says, John, here he is, John. I've come to be a voice calling out before the one. But the one who comes after me is greater. 
And who is that one we find who comes after him? Was Jesus. is Jesus, correct? This light that's being described here is Jesus. This word that's being described here, this word that was with God, that is God, and through all things were made through him, is Jesus. It comes down, if you look at verse 17, the word became flesh. I'm sorry, verse 14. And dwelt among us. Yeah. And we have seen his, the word became flesh. So the word that we're talking about in this beginning, that created all things that was with God and was God, is the one who came flesh. And we have seen the glory. Glory is only the Son from the Father. This, G, this is Jesus. And we know it's Jesus because when we get into verse uh, uh, 16 and 17, it says, From him, full his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, this word that became flesh, brings grace and truth, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we find that the word is God, was with God, that the, he was with God in the beginning and all things was made, and this word... This word is light. This light is Jesus, is what we come out. And is the word became flesh, dwelt among us. He is by his grace we are saved. And grace and truth comes to him. That's, that's, that's how it's painting. John 1 is one of the most, in fact, John chapter 1 specifically is probably one of the uh, most instrumental parts of the Christian faith for a reason. Because the Mormons would tell you that Jesus might have been a God, but he's not the God. Well, I mean, if we, we have to be careful because when we talk about Logos, means he is the word, he is the very incantation of all things. He's the very spoken thing. He's not spoken into, he, he was with God in the beginning. The reason why it's important to say that, he was not created. And that's the, that's the heresy or the, the false teaching that we need to look at that we're going to call it. Jesus wasn't created. The Holy Spirit was not created. God exists as one God in three persons. Not personalities. He's not split personality. He's very distinct persons. One in the many. One in uh, essence, three in person. And that's, that's a very complex part of the... When we look at the Trinity, that's what we call the Trinity. And we'll see in just a few moments the Trinity's in several places. Okay. If you read that verse 14, it explains what what the word word is in verse 1. He says, And the word, capital W, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and he, we beheld his glory, and the glory of the only begotten of, of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was the only begotten of the Father, which was Jesus. And we'll, to me, we'll, that verse 14 draws a connection back to Jesus to verse 1. Mm-hmm. Whenever it just mentions the word, then explains it in verse 14 what he's, what he's talking about. And Jesus said himself, um, Why callest thou me good? There's one man in heaven, and it's our Father. That's a distinction of him saying God is the one 
he, is, when he says, why, why do you call, because the guy comes up to him, good teacher, good. there's more to that than just saying, why do you call me good teacher? Because in calling him good teacher, there is only one that is good who is in heaven. And when he says that, what is he denoting about himself? That if he calling me good teacher, where do I come from? So there's more to it than than just the statement. It's not a it's not him denying his Godhead, his his deity. He's not denying the deity. He's he's breaking out because when the guy says good teacher, it's not for the sake of just saying, oh good teacher. It's 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 a different type of loophole or a different type of catching that he's trying to do. And he says, why do you call me good? There's only one in heaven, which denotes where do I come from? If you believe I'm good. If you believe the teaching that, that I bear is good, where does that teaching come from? Where do I come from? And that's what he kept, he even, that's part of the problem that he had, um, even amongst the Pharisees, when he began saying, your devil, your father is the devil. And the reason why is because I'm the one whom your fathers or the prophets spoke about, and yet you're ready to kill me too like you did the prophets. The reason why is because their father was not the one in heaven, but of this earth. And so he's very clear of where he came from. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. When he said that, he was denoting who he is. He is God. And that's what he was. He, he never denied his deity before men. He never denied, ever denied his deity before men. He never denied that he was one with the Father because, we'll, as we'll see, he says in just a moment, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures, he's going to say, I and the Father are one. When he says that, yeah. it's not just unique in our godliness, it's, it's we're unique, we are united. And he also denotes, he also brings in, as we'll see, the Holy Spirit along with that. So... I mean, that's one of the, it's a, one of the hardest parts and one of the things we have to work through. Why the basis of the faith is, looking at the basics here, He is God, the, we have God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and then Jesus Christ is only Son. We say that, but what does it mean in fullness? And when we look at John 1, it goes beyond that. Secondly, we, well, the second thing is, the second part is, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, when we talk about conception, we're not talking about um, uh, we're we're not talking about uh, an actual uh, sexual act here. We are, and that's one of the other things we have to look at. Is that was a heresy regarding that, and that's what when I when I deal with, uh, I would guarantee that if if it was brought up in the right way, um, the uh, the atheist uh, that was debating Joel McDermott last night would have brought up that you know this deity knocked up of a human and that's not what it was that's not what we're going to see here and even if you want to take the uh if you want to take the teaching from the catholic church on the immaculate conception we need to look at some of those aspects i'm not going to go that far today okay we need to look at what it means conceived by the holy ghost born of the virgin mary when we look at and, and y'all remember the account luke Luke does the best account, in my opinion, when we look at, most people use this, not this Luke. Um, <laughs> sorry. When I speak about grace, 
I don't speak about her. I speak about God's grace. And that whole song's not written about amazing grace or marvelous grace. It, I mean, those can be said about her, but we're not singing to her on Sunday, nor are we reading from your book, because I don't think it would be this part. So, all right. All right. But Luke is giving an account. In, in reality, Luke is not, Luke is giving a writing based upon testimony. Okay, led by the Holy Spirit, he's writing this book. And so one of the things that we're looking at here is talks about the birth of Christ, or how the conception of Christ, not the birth of Christ. We, Luke chapter 2 goes into that. We'll, we're, not, we're not looking at that today. But it says in, in verse 26 of Luke 1, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from, from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. By the way, there are other false teachers that will, or denominations or religions that will try to teach that, she was impregnated by an angel. That's not how it happened either. All right, very simple. He was sent by God to the city of to a city of Galilee from Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now betrothal, we a lot of people try to mix mix this up, and they say, well, it's like she was engaged, and she was, but it, it meant more than just an engagement. Because people today, it's just like, hey, you put a ring on it. And then, um, then you know, five years later, we decide to actually walk an aisle if we're still together. That's not what we're talking about. When they were betrothed, that means there is, she is committed, he is committed, and there is no other. It's as if you are married, yet you are not married yet. Okay? So very important to look at this. She was a young uh, woman, um, and by today's standards, very different. He, pro he possibly could have been a little older. We don't know. Um, but I'm not gonna, we're not going to go into that aspect. But he, she was betrothed, a virgin, meaning she had not had a relationship with a man. She was betrothed to him, and a man named Joseph of the house of David, which we, it's important to look at this lineage to know where Jesus comes from, the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Important here. Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore this child, the child to be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative is Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So when we look at this, I'm really using scripture, just scripture to look at this aspect, but what does it say? When we look at the, the creed who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, we need to understand that what God's work did here was not to glorify Joseph, and it was not to glorify Mary. And we need to understand that it was not to glorify man, but to glorify himself, the Most High. 
he would be called a son of the the son of God, and not um, not necessarily Joseph's son or Mary's son, and um, along those lines. So let's go to part number three of the of the uh, of the Apostles' Creed. There's a lot here, um, a lot here, and then we're going to break off a little part of this that most people don't talk about. It says, "Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried." He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. When we see this passage, there's one part we'll get to. And if you want to go ahead and write it in there, you don't. It's just understand it's the descended into hell part. We're going to write just a moment. We're going to get to that one little part. What does that mean? And. Uh, and, and honestly, I'm not going to take, there's, I, I could have written out all of it, uh, what Calvin wrote, but Calvin wrote uh, of, of three opinions uh, people have and why they don't work out. One of them doesn't work. One of them works, the other two don't work out. And it's just, it's more of a, a logical reason, not necessarily, but what he uses scriptural proofs, but it's more of a rationalization. But I want to look at part of this, this phrase, and from the point of 1 Corinthians 15, and, and look at look at what 1 Corinthians 15 says to us before we get to he descended into hell. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Paul is writing to the church at Corinthian, uh, Corinth. Uh, uh, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, and listen carefully. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed." Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He, he did not raise if it is not true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life, only we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. First Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, 
when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put into subjection, it is plain that he is, he is accepted and who put all things in subjected under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjected, subjection under him, that God may be all in all. When we look at this, we see the very the part of he was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he was what? He was resurrected. He was raised again from the dead on the third day. We see all that aspect. And this, so when we look at it, so one of the first things I always put, the majority of the creed, the biggest part of this right here, is found right in this passage of Scripture. And not only that, he, what does it talk about? He, he has ascended into heaven. We look at that. What, what is Christ doing right now? He is reigning. We see He sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty as part of it. He sits now reigning. And the only thing that's left for him to conquer, the last thing that is to be conquered and fulfilled is what? Death. And so we see in this, this aspect of what Christ has done, what God has done in Christ Jesus. And it's important to talk about the resurrection because if there is no resurrection, then there is no hope. If there's no resurrection, there is no future. If, if Christ is not resurrected, then how would a man be resurrected from the dead? And so it, it's, it's based upon, he's the first fruits, he is the one who created the way, and it's important, and that's where this aspect of the word, the phrase in the Apostles' Creed comes from when it says, he descended into hell. Now, what does that mean? Because in our minds, and by the way, I didn't do this just to say, okay, so did he, do, do we understand what, and, and sometimes language is probably the problem that most people have. Um, there are many reasons that, or many ways people look at the word hell here. Now, I will say this, that we find in the, in the, in the book of Revelation, it says, it's not revelations, it's one revelation. Um, it says something very specific. That at the end of all things, when all things consummated and the judgment, the great judgment happens, it says, death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. So we need to look at what that means. Death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, that's what we talk about as hell. By the way, and it doesn't just say death and Hades will be thrown, which was prepared in advance for the devil and his angels. By the way, Satan will not rule, rule hell. Satan was not reigning down there with a pitchfork over hell. He is condemned to eternal punishment just like anyone who is without Christ. And that's one of the things we need to look at. So when we talk about hell here, we're not talking about that Jesus descended into hell in the sense of that he's down there with all the people persecuted apart from, apart from him, apart from God. We're not talking about this aspect. It's more than that. We're not talking about that Jesus descended into the earth or into a grave for three days. 
Because the fact is, there's nothing glorious and there's nothing righteous and there's nothing transformational in a man staying in a grave for three days. What we are saying is that in this process, what it's, what it's pointing out is what John Calvin writes in his Institutes. It's something very specific that Christ is doing. Okay? And I want to read this to you, what, what Calvin wrote, because I'm not smart enough to have written it myself. I'm not going to lie. But it says, We must seek a sure explanation apart from the creed of Christ's descent into hell. In fact, John Calvin wrote in his Institutes about the Apostles' Creed. That's why it's important to look at this. The explanation given to us in God's Word is not only holy and pious, but also full of wonderful consolation. If Christ had died only a bodily death, it would have been ineffectual. No, it was expedient at the same time for him to undergo the severity of God's vengeance, to appease his wrath, and to satisfy his judgment. For this reason, he must also grapple hand to hand with the armies of hell and what he's talking about, look at it, and the dread of everlasting death. A little while ago, we referred to the prophet's statement that the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. He was wounded for our transgressions by the Father. He was bruised for our infirmities. By these words, he means that Christ was put in place of evildoers as surety and pledge, submitting himself, even as the accused, to bear and suffer all. I'm missing a page in my notes. To suffer all the consequences that are there. Not... You look at y'all have it, so I'll read it to you because I lost page three, so I don't. I'll have to look at that in a second. But it says, uh, "Where are we at?" All with no exception. Where is all with this all, all with this one exception? He could not be held by the pangs of death. No wonder then, if he is said to have descended into hell, for about for he suffered the death, uh, for he suffered the death that God in His wrath had inflicted upon the wicked. Those who, on the ground that it is absurd to put after his burial what, what preceded it, say that the order is reversed in this way, and in this way are, are making a very trifling and ridiculous objection. The point is that the creed sets forth what Christ suffered in the sight of men, and then oppositely speaks of that, that which is invisible and incomprehensible judgment which he underwent in the sight of God in order that we might know not only that Christ's body was given as the price of our redemption, but that he paid greater and more excellent price in suffering in his soul the terrible torments of a condemned and forsaken man. It's not just that Christ died before men, but he paid the penalty before God for the sins of those of those who were saved, who would be saved. The penalty for those who had who were uh, without Christ. So you're gonna have to give me a second. I do not know what happened to part that part of it, but um, we'll just read. Let's go part four. And then we'll look at the scriptures that go on. What does it tell us? I believe in the Holy Ghost. This is not Casper, the friendly ghost. This is not some kind of 
uh, Jimmy Cricket, let your conscience be your guide. It's not that kind of thing. The Holy Ghost is God. And this is one of the aspects that we need to look at very as we'll go. In Genesis chapter 1, I can remember where we're going. That's why. As long as I have this, thank God we have it. Uh, Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2, and then 26 through 28. He says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And it's very specifically, and the Spirit of God. Now notice this. If it were, if we look at this, and we there's a reason why in the language that this is something that's capitalized and not lowercase. Because the Spirit of God, in the sense of lowercase, would be the presence of God would be there. What is this? The Spirit of God is the personhood of God, which is the Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. And it's important to also look at this in the actual as we went through. He creates all things, and on the sixth day he's also creating man. And he says, "Let then God said, let us... Make man in our image. Here he didn't say, God didn't say, let me make man in my image. Are we made in the image of God? Are we image bearers of God? Absolutely. But when we talk about this, after our likeness. And when he's speaking of this, we need to take into consideration what is he, what is he saying? What is he instituting here? What is he Speaking of one uh, of, uh, of specifically, is he talking singularly or poorly? He's talking about one. The one, he's talking about the one in the many, and let them have dominion. So we see this aspect, but also we can't stop there. That's why I'll go back to John one, and in John one, he talks about that Jesus, and we talked about. That's why we wanted to put John one and go all the way through going through verse fourteen. Understand that Jesus was with God. In the beginning, and through all things who was made, the Spirit hovered over the waters. The Holy Spirit was with God in the beginning. Then we go on to John, I believe, 14. And he talks about this aspect, and Jesus is speaking of this. And the Holy Spirit is not created at this point. The Holy Spirit is in, he, he is alive. The Holy Spirit is God. And he says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Why? For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it, he it is that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Go on. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now listen carefully. These things that I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. 
He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all proceeding, all having purpose. Jesus is not less, less of God, and the Holy Spirit is not less than Christ or God the Father. They are one, in essence, three and persons. John 16 goes on and says, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their, their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, who, who, sent, who sent Jesus. God the Father. Where did Jesus come from if he was sent? He comes from the Father. Where is the Father? God the Father. He comes from the Father. He's with the Father. That's why John 1 says he was with the Father in the beginning. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your to your advantage... Go ahead. That I go away. For it will, if you do not go, if I do not go away, the Helper, which we've talked about in John 14, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world's judged. It's judged already. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the Spirit of Truth, who is called the Helper, who is called the Comforter, who is called the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. Not something separate, not based upon his separate his separateness, but he will speak. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. This is Jesus speaking. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the very words of Christ are the very words of God. Therefore, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and guides us into all truth, He can't speak another truth. He can't speak of something there. Why? Because everything proceeds from the Father, which proceeds from the Son, which means he. when we talk about He proceeds from, that means He is speaking as the Father. He is speaking the very words of God, the very words of Christ. We know that that aspect is there. When it says, and when I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is not some other God that has a different agenda. The God of the, the, God of the New Testament is not the different God from the God of the Old Testament. It's the same God, and the same God has revealed Himself in both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout all of Scripture. 
we have several times that we talk about Christophanies and so forth in the Old Testament, where you see the Son of Man, one as the Son of God, appearing. We're not talking about an angel, because if it were an angel, we see different places where one appears as the Son of Man or Son of God or what have you, and you see that someone tries to bow down to the angel, and this angel says no. And then you see other places where someone bows down before this, this angel or so forth, and, and what do they do? They're allowed to. And it's a Christophany, what we call the appearance of Christ um, in, really we look at it as an Old Testament. Um, but we see that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are there. The New Testament brings that forth and says he, in John 1, was a specific example. When he goes on to the last part, in verse, uh, the fifth point, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. When we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, we are not talking about the big RC church, the Roman Catholic Church. When we talk about the holy, is a people set apart, is a separation, a holy Catholic. The word Catholic does not mean, uh, does not denote big C. It means, and even if it was written capital H, capital C, it doesn't matter. When we talk about Catholic, it means the one or the universal church. And that is not a denomination. <laughs> and be very careful about that. Um, when we talk about the universal church, when we talk about this this his one church, he talks about the Holy Catholic Church. It talks about this communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. It talks about the unity that we find here. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 is one of my favorite verses. It's what we founded our church upon, uh, the unity uh, uh, the unity that's found in Christ. And it says that, Paul says, I therefore as a prisoner for the Lord, he wrote this, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, and there is one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to our to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth, which we were just talking about a few moments ago. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. But when we talk about this, there is one holy Catholic church. There is one, uh, there is one hope. There is one call. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one people of God. And it's in Christ Jesus, from the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we even take, as we take communion, it's a, it even talks about this aspect. And so I just want us to, I want us to think of this whole thing. I'm not going to go into the, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 today. Um, but the point of communion was to unite, it was that which unites His church and um, the point of communion 
uh, is not about the people. It's about Christ in, in, in that sense. And so when we look at this, what the basis of the Apostles' Creed is it lays a foundation of what the church believes. Not what we believe as a church. I'm not saying this is our, our, di- our, um, our declaration. This is the basis of the Christian faith. It's the base belief. And um, it's not a declaration of the reform, just of the Reformed Church. It's the base of what, if, if we're going to have, we have unity in all things. When we meet with others and we come together, this is one of the questions I ask. And this is one of the things I have to ask when I go to, uh, to do certain things. And there are churches that I can't, or individuals I can't unite with on these things. There are people that... In years past, I, I wouldn't have allowed to come to the pulpit because they these are these are the base teachings of the faith, and if they deny the base teachings, then what else do they deny? Um, because if you if we deny that that there is God and that Jesus, if we deny that Jesus is God and we deny that the Holy Spirit is God, um, whether the Holy Spirit functions differently than the Son and where the Son functions differently as a Father in any way, if people want to say that, um, it does not change the fact that they're God. And that is the and that's the way He's displayed Himself to us. He displays Himself. If you look throughout Scripture, and I, I don't have time to go into it, we can maybe discuss it at lunch, I'd love to. Um, but if you look at all the, Trini- the, the, the aspects of Trinitarian idea, the family, the husband, the wife, the children, and the responsibilities there, the church, you have Christ as the head, correct? You have Christ as the head, you have, uh, you have and I know people don't, not everybody likes the fact, but you have the pastors, the teachers, and you have the, pe- the, the, the people. They're not children, we're not saying that the people, the lay people of the church are that, it's, we're looking at he he put what did he do in Ephesians he he tells us he he called out who else he called out he appointed pastors and he appointed apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers for the equipment of the saints it's a very specific but they're not under the headship they're not the head they're under the headship of Christ in that aspect and everyone sits under the headship so but there's trinitarian ideas in all of God's thing of all of God's principles. And uh, that he's given us for government, for self-government, for the family, um, for the church, uh, and, it's, and it's just, it just it continues to ring true, and so uh, ring true for us. And so when we look at this, this is just a base belief. When we talk about getting to the Nicene Creed, and we start talking about um, the reasons why, when you see that the two the two dis, the main disagreements regarding why the the Nicene Creed came about. You understand that when someone says that Jesus was not God, he's not God, then we have to look at it. If Jesus is not God, then he's not divine. If he's not divine, he's man. He's only man. And if he's only man, he was sinful. Because that's one thing. Me, man in themselves, we because, and that's what we'll talk about: original sin. We'll talk about the aspects of why we can't live sinlessly, why Christ could, the difference, and and bring those aspects out. Um, 
that why he was a spotless lamb, why he was perfect sacrifice, why he was all these things. We can go back to the book of Hebrews and we probably will to describe some of this. But those are aspects that we need to look at. Um, we need to understand. But this is just laying the base foundation today. So, if y'all will join me, let's pray as we close uh, and prepare. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I uh, thank you that we can grapple with it. And that, Lord God, we can discuss it. And Lord, that, uh, that Lord God, we can learn. And Lord God, that we can allow it to allow your word to penetrate us. And Lord God, as, as your word says, it's like a double-edged sword cutting through both joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and laying us basically naked before you, Lord, not allowing anything to stand in the, between us and you and what, you're, uh, what, what you would have for us and what you have called us to and uh, who you are and how you've revealed yourself to us. And Lord God, the purpose that you've called us to and as your people. And Lord, I pray that you uh, just continue to, to work in, in us and through us in this. Lord, allow for us to, uh, well, I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to work on us and chisel away at our, at every one of us, Lord God, at our, our hardest spots. And Lord God, for, for those of us, all of us in Christ, Lord, I pray that you just continue to sanctify us and Lord, just strengthen us. And, and, and Lord God, in, in your word and the knowledge of you, and Lord God, that we would know it for ourselves, that Lord God, we would stand firm in these truths, and that Lord God, that you would use us or to be part of the transformation for your kingdom's sake. Uh, Lord, I pray you claim all things for your crown rights, uh, the crown rights of King Jesus and everything. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.